to Fans of the Forge, where we are recapping Master of Arms Season 1, Episode 5, The Grenade Launcher. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grenade Launcher. Going to be a pretty good one. So, our contestants this week, Dan Rossiter, he's a professional custom gun maker, 15 years experience, uh, does restoration and stock maker of Edwardian era guns, mm. was a professional rifle shooter for Duquesne University. So the guy knows his guns. All right. Then we have Tim Frills. Frace. Tim Frizz. Police officer and bomb technician, firearms maker and inventor. Has uh, been making guns for seven years. Specialization in flintlock rifles. And we have Ed Perry, who builds, sells, custom long rifles, 20 years experience, over 250 flintlock firearms. So, pretty good. Let's see what they got to make this week. In our quick draw challenge, they are given three hours to make a flintlock mechanism. Mm, okay. So, just the mechanism. What did you think about that? I thought it was an interesting idea. Up until now, they've made you know, these weapons where they needed to have that already made because of the detail involved and it, like, you can't do both. Except There's for the not ball and chain flail. Well, well, they didn't need an ignition system for that. Oh, because it was Joan of Arc sword after that anyway, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. There's and only been one other time where they've had to make a mechanism and then I question how much they have to make for right. that. So, it seems like, and we'll go into it, they, um, Flintlock was developed in the 17th century. Flintlock mechanism became the basis of most firearms at the time. Parameters for this, they're given all the necessary pieces which need to be filed and assembled, fitted and tapped to the thousandth <laughs> of an inch will not be provided with flint for testing. So they have to kind of know what they're doing and they can't test it and make adjustments. So right. it's really going to test their knowledge and skills to make this mechanism. So, with Dan, he begins by trying to figure out how the pieces are going to fit together. Uh, smokes a, a piece to be able to see how it's meeting with another piece. So, he has this little, like, oil lamp, lights it, gets soot on it, and then fits the pieces together to see where they're rubbing so he can make adjustments, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a neat method for that. And then he starts with uh, the hammer and bridle. Um, he's guessing where the mainspring goes. Hopes he guesses right. <laughs> That's not something you want to hear when somebody's making a firearm. <laughs> no. I hope I'm guessing the right yeah. spot. Um, and at one point he broke the head off a screw. Uh, not a problem for how the frizzing works, but he needs to secure it somehow. Did, how did he end up securing it? Do you remember? No, I uh, don't. I don't I'm know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, moving on to Tim. He knows that the frizzing is not hardened. So he starts prepping the frizzle for heat treat. Um, he has an issue with the drill bit kind of being wobbly and ends with a curved hole for the mainspring, which causes him some stress. In the last half hour, he realizes he needs to tap and thread the jaw piece, um, which, uh, what does that hold the, the flint in place? The top yeah. part of it. Yeah, so that's what the flint attaches to. And... Down to the last second, he didn't finish. He had three th three threads left to go. Yeah, he was using the the tapping system that just like it's, it's it was the ratcheting, and was it he ratcheting? 
Yeah, yeah, that one ratchets, and he's but, like, it's just not working, it's not going, and I don't know what happened there. It, it takes time to do that. I, You know, I've had to do that before in the past, not with a ratcheting one, just with a regular one. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's such a pain in the ass, because you go down, and you back it off, and then go down and back it off. and So the ratcheting helps with that a little bit, but you can only go so far before it starts to get locked up, and you have to let the, the stuff out. Yeah, you got to get the shavings yeah. out, yeah. So, unfortunately, that's uh, not good news for him. And we check out Ed. He starts with attaching the bridle to the tumbler. The lock plate is too hard to drill, so he heats it up red hot to drill it, soften the steel, and finish with enough time to polish and decorate the mechanism. So only one guy, at least from what they showed, heat treated his frizzen. Mm -hmm. he, he acknowledged it seemed like it wasn't going to be hard enough metal, not that he, he still didn't finish. But they didn't show anything for the other two guys. About Not that they didn't do it either, but I don't know that it had to be done. Well, that part is the frizzing is the part that strikes. The, right. The, I'm, the I'm just saying that it has to have been done. I don't know if the guys had to do it because the other time when they've had a mechanism, that's the guy that peed in the can to quench his, oh, yeah, his thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, there's a whole thing about about that. So he was saying it wasn't hard enough. Then I don't know if they just were were, were given prisons that weren't hardened, or yeah. or if they were, and he just didn't think so. Yeah. How was he going to test it? He didn't have a flint to test with. Well, you had a file. Then you can file it. You can file it to see if it's hard. But eh, I was just wondering. Yeah. Not that it makes any difference in the end because he didn't make it. He didn't finish. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so moving on to testing. Can your flintlock generate a spark? They are given three chances to generate a spark and set a barrel on fire. It's really just a lid. I guess they threw some gasoline on there or something like that. Yeah, this kind of neat mechanism. It would ignite the, and then... The powder would fall down onto yeah. whatever gas or whatever was on it. It was cool. It was a good way to yeah. test it, I thought. And it gives you a good visual aspect that normally just firing off the gun, it's just going to be like a little spark and bang. Right. So this gave To it see it like travel down was, was cool. Yeah. Because that's how, you know, gun is going to go in the barrel. Interesting to see how they did it safely. Like, I was wondering how are oh, they yeah. going to shoot this to, yeah. to try to get it to work. Here's Zeke. Pull the trigger. Right. <laughs> so he's got this, you know, poker. <laughs> it almost looked like a string, but it was, I guess it was a rod, yeah. 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 So for Ed, worked on the first try, big old blaze. For Dan, worked on the first try, big old blaze. But Tim, he didn't have enough time to finish tapping that top jaw, so the lock was incomplete and it could not be tested. So Tim got the boot. Tim got boot. Yep. Which stunk because he was so close. It, it, it was, yeah. yeah, it was really close. I mean, I don't know how much more assembly he had to do, but that was the only real thing he needed left. So. Yeah. So then they move on to the Master Build Challenge, where Dan and Ed are given four days to make an 18th century flintlock grenade launcher, also known as a hand mortar. Grenade launcher! <laughs> Oh, hand mortar is a pretty badass name for it, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so as early as the 17th century, they were used in combat, most often remembered being used by the Navy. Um, lick grenades were prone to exploding while still inside the barrel. 
So that was one of those things where it's like, interesting fact, do we need to worry about the safety of everybody? <laughs> I'm, I'm really honestly surprised at how those things worked with such a short barrel. I would have expected it. Yeah, I'm just surprised that it can get that much forward momentum out of such a short barrel. I mean, I guess it's a little long because it's got to go down in there and it was a long piece. But it seemed, compared to a regular rifle or something, it was way shorter. Yeah. And it still launched some. So it's got to, it must somehow, the way that the force of the... I would say that the the grenade charge probably fits snugly in there as, I guess, most... Uh, other muskets would yeah and then maybe it's just not there's i don't know how big the charge is that's going to propel it out so it might have been a, a decent sized charge but obviously you don't want the grenade to explode right mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh yeah i mean it, it's it's yeah it's not very deep and it just pops it out of there yeah so the parameters were that it need to be 23 to 25 inches long include flintlock from the quick draw challenge um, the barrel must have a design turned into it We'll need to use wood, metal, and non-ferrous working skills. So they had to do all of these things, the metalworking and the, the woodworking and everything. Yep. So Dan on day one was all about getting the foundation stock roughed out and inletting the stock. On day two, he was working on forging the butt plate, giving it a widow's peak for aesthetics, and also works on the lathe to inlet the barrel. Day three, he wanted to assemble all the metalwork to the stock, and uses a bandsaw to trim down the stock. And then on day four is the final assembly. Um, he made a calculation error and put the trigger guard too far forward and needed to fix it. With half an hour left, he realizes that the flint lock is not sparking the way it should and it needed to be fixed. With half an hour left. Out of a 40-hour bill, <laughs> the last half hour he finds out that things not working properly. Yeah, the trigger is really forward. And then he's he pulled it apart and he's trying to bend it Mm-hmm. I wonder if he could have just made a new guard. In that amount of time? Maybe. I mean, it's, it's, tough. it's just a piece of metal that, you know, it's got a hoop to it. Yeah. Or move it forward. I, I don't know if it, I don't think it connected to anything else, but I don't know. It's hard to tell, really. We're not seeing yeah. what else is attached within the gun. Or... Right. So Ed starts his 40 hours with the quote, I love money, but glory is better. And he starts roughing out the stock and then setting the lock and barrel inlets. On day two, he hopes to have the ferrous components done by the end of the day. And he works on the lathe, where he claims to be an amateur, to inlet the barrel. Day three, the goal is to get the whole piece into working condition and fixing the barrel to the stock. He drills a hole into the barrel, um, which he describes as the worst case scenario, but then everything's fine. He says, oops, there's a hole. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he broke a tap trying to rectify the problem. And this is where we learned that um, Ed tends to swear when he's <laughs> making mistakes. Oh, my God. I was laughing. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> No, that wasn't this one. That wasn't this one? Oh, maybe it was this one. I thought that, was, that was this one. Where yeah, the old guy's swearing a he's lot. Swearing, it's going. Beep, it is, beep, it's almost like a big long string. Then it cuts to commercial, and it comes back, and it's. <laughs> beep, beep. Uh. And then on day four, um, he's doing the final assembly, incorporates sawdust into the epoxy. Um, the epoxy dried before he could get the screws in all the way. 
and he vented his frustration. And I thought this is oh. where it was like the lots of swearing, where was. it was almost fairly continuous beeping. Maybe you're right. There were a couple times where he was swearing a lot. Yeah. So that yeah. But he, you know, was working throughout. Yeah. Um, he sanded it and stained the wood, reassembled the metal parts, and did some decorative work. Uh, he made a Georgian crown and anchor to represent the navy of King George. So historical accuracy for you. Some cool. Well, well, was it historically accurate? I don't know. <laughs> was it, it claimed not to be no. later on, oh. which I was like, wait, what? In a in a point in his favor, you've seen me do work around the house and do things that are historically that are accurate. No, not historically <laughs> accurate stuff. But you've seen me work on projects that are difficult, and if I have issues, oh, we can't work together. You the f bombs start flying, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I get the I get the swearing. I I totally. Oh am. well, yeah. You got to. You have to release the frustration. Oh man. Like when I was doing the deck and I couldn't get the goddamn nails out of the top of the, the board. Rip, you were working on that one by yourself. When we're doing electrical work and I'm up in the ceiling and you're swearing down below and I can't see what's happening, that's not the same. Well, someone's got to be swearing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then we move on to testing. Nick Irving is back. Special ops. Badass. Um, yep. Special ops. Badass. <laughs> yeah. You hesitated. I was stumbling out. It's late, guys. Take the shot. <laughs> so there's two tests. First part is they're testing the short range accuracy, firing a ball through the um, porthole windows. They had this little like boat side setup. And then part two, the trajectory and distance is being tested by firing the grenade in an arc and hoping for an explosion outside the grenade launcher. So for Ed, test one, um, it hit the upper rim of the porthole window, not the center. And Nick says it is not a precision weapon, but it should have been fairly accurate at close range. But for test two, the trajectory is perfect and everything remains intact. As far as the gun, there was an explosion on the other end. Right. Um, For Dan, test one hits the center of the window. Nick says good job. And test two... It lands over and into the ship, and the you know the piece remains intact. Okay, so for judging, for Ed, um, Zeke says that close quarters was not as good as Dan's, which you know was true. Yep. Trenton comes back with historically historically accurate in its close range inaccuracy. Like right. these weapons weren't meant to do cl- short range, so right. the fact that it wasn't accurate. Was historically accurate. There you go, Sean. And Ashley says it's a pristine museum quality piece. Yes. However, when they talk about the embellishments that he did to it, when they're comparing Dan's to Ed's, and they said, well, Dan's, if we're going to go to it, it wasn't as polished. It didn't look that great as Ed's. Ed does engraving. And then Ashley's like, well... You know, do you really want to put all this fancy work into it if it just could blow up? Because these things would just blow up from time to time. And then she actually said, Ed's wasn't as historically accurate. Like, they didn't do this stuff. Oh, they didn't. Supposedly. They said they did put the crown on it. That's what I thought, too, in the beginning. But then she she said... Get Zeke back on the phone. No. (laughs) have questions. (laughs) She said, no, they didn't normally do this type of stuff. But they admired that he did it, but then said, well, that's not exactly what they would do, typically. Right. 
So for Dan, Zeke said performed exceptionally well in both tests. Ashley said the fit and finish is not necessarily as polished, which is more accurate that it wouldn't be as polished. And Trenton, the trigger guard and buttstock are sharp. So mm. he had the uh, more mechanical, maybe not mechanical issues with it, but like. Well, I'd say it's a mechanical issue if those areas are sharp, especially the buttstock is going up right against yeah, your shoulder. I and thought it was a toss up. I was, was kind of, I was like, well, ah. It's, it's, yeah, it seemed like really getting down to nitpicking pieces. Yeah. But Ed's going home with $10,000 mm-hmm. in the title of Master of Arms. Hey, congratulations, All right, Ed. good job, Ed. Connecticut guy. Oh, that's right. That, yeah. Yeah, we looked him up in the, at the, the time. The northeast see where, corner. Yeah. So many people making weapons in this state. We mm. had no idea. It's an old state. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a good reason. Historically accurate. <laughs> Well, that was it. That was a good episode. It was um, it was fun to 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 see the grenade launcher. A grenade launcher, yeah, that's that was cool. awesome. So, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll make one. Do it. Go for it. All right. All right. Keep an eye on your local news. Yeah. For when <laughs> local man blows himself up with a homemade grenade launcher. I can use this beer can. It's about the size of a barrel, right? <laughs> All righty. Well, that was the episode. We all enjoyed it. It was Season 1, Episode 5 of Master of Arms, The Grenade Launcher. Thank you for watching. Remember to like and subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe to the Instagram account. Uh, We don't really do Twitter so much. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else? If you're listening to us on a podcast, please rate us highly on there. Yes, that would be nice if somebody rated us on the podcast. (laughs) As of right now, it says not (laughs) enough ratings. Um, And... Also, we've been doing some ads lately on some of the podcasts, which comes up before the actual. Like, if you're listening, to this it's the you've first already thing that heard comes it. up, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, we're just trying it out. We don't know if it's going to go anywhere, so stick with us as yeah. we do this little test with putting some ads at the beginning. Cool. And that's it. Thanks everybody for watching, and we will catch you whenever the hell Fortune Fire comes back on. I guess next week. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Bye-bye. See ya. Check, check, check. Mic check, mic check. Check, check. Oh, yeah. Check, check. That's a penalty. That's a penalty. In half. Oh, I broke the apparatus. That's a penalty. <laughs> so stupid. It is ridiculous. <laughs> goaltending. <laughs> million times. Oh, that's goaltending. Penalty. We're going to make it quick. <laughs> it's going to turn into a pumpkin. <laughs>